All right. Hello, Matt. Welcome to episode 56 here, I believe, of Going Live with Good Soil. Um, how's it going so far? Uh, t- Tuesday morning, July 26th. It's a big down day so far in the morning, um, the day before the FOMC meeting of July. Uh, you know, t- What are your thoughts about all this, Matt? What are your thoughts on the macro market and the movement? <laughs> so, there, there is so much to talk about. Um, it's just I, like I, I almost don't know what to make of of the market movement because there's um, you know there's just a lot going on. But to me, the the big one um, this morning that I think probably spooked markets a little bit was uh, uh, Walmart, who had been uh, guiding for like a flat Q2 essentially. Uh, now it revised their guidance downward, saying they expect like an EPS drop of around you know eight or nine percent, uh, while actually raising top line. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that kind of spooked market. If you look at like what's happened to Target and some other retailers, um, their, um, you know, you, their stocks are getting hit uh, particularly hard today. And I think that's kind of leading the charge uh, on this uh, this big downward day that we're seeing today. But it's, it's kind of like right ahead of a bunch of economic indicators that uh, you alluded to. So um, big, big week for sure. We got a lot to go on on macro. We got a lot to talk on on, on Tesla and everything else. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. To me, that seems like what's going on today. But what do you, uh, what, what do you make of, of uh, the move today? Yeah, Walmart doing the pre-announcement um, of, I guess, uh, a down, a, a bad, a, a not so rosy colored uh, earnings for them, and you know, just it's just uh, negative news. Like sort of when I think didn't they do this last quarter, Target and Walmart or something similar? I feel like and. Um, you know, the market kind of crashed a little bit the next day or two, you know. So I think a lot of it is also just a sort of a vacuum the day before the FOMC uh, meeting announcement and uh, and the GDP print as well. So yeah. sort of like a little bit of a, a macro market vacuum for stability. And, and so if there's any jitters or any fear of something, I feel like it can cause the market to like drop quickly two or three percent, you know, and. Maybe yeah. conversely, if there was some good news, it would it could cause it to go up two or three percent pretty quickly and easily. So that's just my gut feeling. It's just it's like a combination of jitters with FOMC tomorrow and Bill Ackman's coming out saying that like they've got to be stronger with their language because the market is even though market prices in like a maximum Fed funds overnight rate of like three point five percent by the end of the year three point four percent by the end of the year that they price in like early next year it's going to go back down to like two point five percent pretty quickly so the market's like pricing in that the fed's going to reverse interest rates uh, or like take down interest reverse rates course pretty, on, yeah. yeah pretty very quickly after they get to their max rate and so he's anticipating that he'll be asked in the meeting tomorrow and that um powell and and is anticipating that they will also be asked like why is are you going to really reverse course right after you get to the high point? Why would you do that? And that he's going to have to double down on not reversing course because um, it sort of messes up the whole point of raising interest rates. If the market doesn't think it's going to be sustainably <laughs> raised, you know, so yeah. that, that, that I think there, there, you know, that's an interesting angle, an interesting narrative um, thrown out about what could lead to more hawkishness in the macro markets uh, tomorrow, I believe. Um have you seen that by any chance? What do you think about that? Yeah, so I, I think he's going to, um, all indications are that the Fed is going to kind of stay the course. I think markets expecting, you know, 75 basis point hike um, in the next meeting. So um, that's certainly kind of what I expect. The question is, you know, as you alluded to, will they, you know, will the economic indicators kind of turn around, uh, you know, later this year and into early next year, such that they do have to, you know, lower rates or, you know, stop QT or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. And we've been talking about this for a while, but I'm kind of like mildly on on the Kathy Wood side of the argument that a lot of this stuff is kind of related to inventory buildups and that there actually are some inflation or deflationary pressures that will come to bear uh, in the later half of this year. Um, and, and what we saw today, like with, with the Walmart news to me is kind of a, a, an indication that that is true. Um, or at least that that thesis is yeah. like holds a little bit of water. Like they've got so much inventory that they just have to cut prices. And that's why, um, their earnings they, are not they're so good. lowering, they're going to lower their earnings. It's not top line concern. So they're actually saying like, we, we're seeing pretty strong demand, but like, we just have so much excess inventory, um, you know, particularly on like some higher end goods. So like they're seeing yeah. a bigger mix of like, you know, 
gas and food, um, yeah. which is lower lower margin than like you know TVs or so, something like that. So they're having to discount those items to to move them, um, and and that's kind of essentially what what Kathy was saying. And there was an interesting comment today. Also, GM had their earnings call this morning, uh, and their CFO said, "Yeah, well, we've got you know issues with inflation, but they're actually not seeing any signs of an economic slowdown." Uh, which is pretty similar to what Tesla said on their earnings call too, is that, like, yeah. you know, maybe there's like a slight sign of the slowdown in the order book, but nothing that's really like very clear to draw a pattern from. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting where we, we could be in this environment where the economic, you know, collapse that a lot of people have been fearing, like a major recession or uh, something like that. It could be in the cards for the next couple of years. Maybe that's not happening. At least like the, the early read into the uh, into this earnings season is that companies are dealing with inflation issues and, and probably too much inventory, but not so much demand side. Yeah. At least that that's my kind of read. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot uh, of earnings reports this week, so there's a lot of signal coming in this week. Uh, macro markets and just like the big bellwether stocks, earnings, Amazon, Apple, uh, Google. Yeah. It wasn't Microsoft this morning. I think that's like a major company, and that's if it was, I missed big. that. Or, or I don't know what's going on, but they're expect maybe it's later today or this week for sure. I thought, I'm looking at the stock and it just crashed this morning, so I'm not sure what happened with Microsoft. I haven't caught up on that yet, but that's a major bellwether stock. Um, so yeah, I mean, lots of signal coming in this week from uh, biggest companies in the world reporting earnings and the macro markets and uh, GM. That was, you know, you know, it's, it's, I've seen some interesting, I think you retweeted someone else like forward capitals retweet or something. And it was, it was hilarious. It's like, you know, what's the best way they can like, you know, circumvent their depressed earnings and, and like, how, how can they get the language around to make people hopeful of the stock? I don't know. It's just like, how do they translate that to MBA talk to like <laughs> get people excited about the stock or keep, stay hopeful about the stock? I mean, it's so sad, uh, you know, the GM earnings and how they have to try to like frame it, you know, in the perfect way. I, I mean, what do you think about the GM earnings? It looks like it's really just not not looking good for that company. Yeah, well, I mean, this is like this earnings report is kind of uh, a good example of why auto companies in general have such terrible like EBITDA multiples or earnings multiples or you know, valuation multiples of any sort um, is because for the most part, auto companies have like very high fixed costs. Um, and then they've got the, these series of plants that um, are like, for the most part, underutilized. And then if they take a hit, like if, if uh, you know, there's just a sequential decline in, in earnings for, for some reason, because um, auto sales are like highly subject to consumer sentiment. And in this case, subject to like supply chain issues that, that uh, GM is dealing with. So they, I, I don't have the earnings report in front of me, but they had like a modest top line decline, maybe it was like 10 or 20%, something like that year over year, but it was like a 40% decrease in earnings. So it's, it's kind of like the opposite of what Tesla has, where like Tesla has this operating leverage, whereas they, you know, increase their, you know, deliveries and their revenue by, you know, 40, 50% per year, then their, their earnings increase by an amount higher than that, because they've got uh, operating leverage. The incumbents mm -hmm. who have already kind of saturated the market and are essentially just losing market share now, and are and are frankly subject to giant swings in in worldwide automotive demand. Um, like they don't have a whole lot of levers. Like they can cut staff, and a lot of them are doing that. for just announced a, a pretty big layoffs. Um, but like you can't just like redesign a factory on a whim. And so like you you've got all these announcements of them spending you know tens of billions of dollars to focus on electrification. And you know there was some news on like a new battery plant there investing in with the help of some government subsidies and that sort of thing and it's like they they don't have, <laughs> they're just a very fragile from an economic from like a financial standpoint um they're burdened with a huge amount of debt and and they've got a very high fixed cost structure so it's yeah. it's like it's not a great business honestly which is why they've got these terrible multiples um yeah. so and don't yeah. the auto loan uh, delinquencies going up doesn't that isn't that a major risk for them too or their finance arm yeah, for, for GM. So they've got a, it's rebranded a couple of times. It used to be GMAC. I think it's Ally now. It's it's essentially an in-house bank, uh, which, which you know, provides a, a huge amount of the profits of the company just in, yeah. you know, giving, attaching uh, loans 
to uh, consumers. So yeah, you're right. We started to see, and I don't have the exact data in front of me, but we started to see like auto loan delinquencies start to spike. And that, like that's, that's that has the potential to be like a major um, issue, not only in decreasing earnings, but like it creating solvency risk for, for the companies. Um, yeah. I don't think we're we're quite at the point where that's you know a, an imminent issue, but you could imagine if this trend continued over time and uh, you know the cash flow of the of the core operations starts to dwindle and dry up as you know the EV transition, you know they yeah. just aren't winning at, and then you've got delinquencies on their core ICE vehicles. You know, really dragging down earnings and yeah. hurting cash flow as well. Like that, that, that could be a very vicious cycle. Yeah, I skimmed through like their presentation briefly, but there was one slide that caught my attention. I took like a screenshot. I was like, man, it was the uh, secured battery cell supply chain slide. I don't know if you had a chance to see that, but it's uh, it's circulating. You know, some people have tweeted out their deck and everything. You can find it, but I forget which page it is. But it's just, you know, they're basically announcing they have enough. They've secured. Um, the, all the battery raw materials supporting their goal of a million units of annual capacity in North America by 2025. First of all, Mary said they're going to be leading Tesla by 2025 or something ridiculous like that. You know, like, <laughs> so now they're saying we just secured enough supply raw materials. And Ford did something similar the other day and said we secured enough to build. You know, I think it was Ford, right? They're like we secured enough to build two point. 2 million cars by 2024 capacity or something. And I feel like this is another MBA speak, like another MBA, like PR announcement, you know, thing to like manipulate or, or misinform or deceive the investors. Like, yeah, we're there. We're going to be there too. Like, you know, not, we're not just saying it, we're securing the supply and like, who knows, like you really would want to read the fine print of these <laughs> agreements that they claim are securing supply. Like, I, I seen the list. They have LG Chem is like the respect the name that I know of from studying Tesla. Yeah, but these others like Ultium Cells. That's their own like in house like battery <laughs> manufacturer. Like that's their own in house manufacturer selling them. Oh, we'll secure supply. Like what the heck? And then there's like Posco Chemical Company or Livent. You know, I don't know half these names on this list of their strategic partnerships. I mean, not saying they can't get the materials and get the supply of batteries to to um to gm but you know this is suspicious like you know i guess they have to do that if i'm in gm shoes and i'm working there and my livelihood is dependent on gm stock you know staying float floated i would do the same thing i guess i mean it seems a little bit dishonorable but maybe they actually tricked themselves into believing that you know we're surely going to get the supply that we're securing in these agreements. And there's probably lots of contingencies in the agreements. Like they say, like LG Chem might be like, yeah, any excess supply we have that we can't give to Tesla, we'll give to you. And we estimate it could be up to a few hundred thousand cars worth or something, you know, and they count that as like, oh, locked in, you know? Yeah. So it's like ridiculous. Um, it's kind of like the know. Nikola thing. Like, you know, they had this partnership with Nikola at one point and now yeah. that suddenly <laughs> that's not on their strategic partnerships for like announcement, right? It's like, yeah, it exactly. Mean anything ever. Announcements mean nothing. And the stock market, <laughs> if somehow announcements on these stocks do mean something on the stock price, I don't understand it. Like we love, uh, you know, the, the not bull case of GM, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I think a lot of people have seen that on the wall. But the problem is the government, you know, they have allies with their unions and the current government administrations. You know, who knows what kind of rabbits they pull out of their hat to get, like, support from the government. Just like Volkswagen gets support probably from the German government instead of going bankrupt one day. You know, GM is like government motors nickname is for them or something. You know, they've always been yeah. supported by the U.S. government. So... It's hard to say, yeah. but it's just a failing business in my mind. The the other thing that stuck out um, in, in that deck for me was, I don't know if you saw the cruise financials that they broke out separately. I, I, I didn't look into that. Before. Um, okay. For the first half of the year, I think it was, they had $100 million in total revenue, which like one, that's like a lot lower than I would have thought. Um, wow. But uh, an EBIT, so earnings before interest and tax of negative $900 million. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Like people talk about like how Cruise is competing with Tesla and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, like you can make a very reasonable case. I think that like within certain like areas or certain use cases that like Waymo's better or Cruise is better or some of the Chinese, you know, EV companies are better. Yeah. But then you look at something like this and you're like, okay, but how do you scale up this business to make it profitable when you're losing, like your costs are 10 times higher than your, your revenues. Yeah. Um, 
So it's like, I, yeah. I, I hope they turned it around, but like that doesn't give me a lot of confidence that their business model is is sustainable in any way, shape or form. So, you know, yeah. people talk about Cruise as like someone's strategic advantage to GM, but I, I just frankly don't see it. Like, I don't see how you get from the technology is good to the business is good. That's the leap that has never been clear. Yeah, it's the same thing with Waymo and uh, even Mobileye to an extent. I guess that's a little further. I would put them a little higher up, but still, like, how do they make it into a business? Like, they're not building it into the cars organically. It's like they're attaching all these, like, sensors. It's all geofenced. You have, you know, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I agree. It's just, it's not a, it's not a business. It's a, it's a lab experiment, and they don't know how to transfer it into a business by any means, I don't think. So, Um. Anyway, uh, let's enough bashing on GM, I guess. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure we'll have more time to do that in the future. Um, you have the other earnings this week, you know, Meta, Apple, Amazon, uh, Microsoft thing is later. Uh, it's not, but there was just some news this morning about like speculation about their cloud not being so big or so, I don't know, causing Microsoft to drop. But Google today, um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on the mega caps here? Do you think they're going to lift us up or you think they're going to contribute to the recession fears? I mean, these are really tech mega caps these days. There's, Walmart's yeah. the only like mega cap that's not tech and target. Right. I guess, but you know, they have come out and said like, Oh, this is terrible. GM used to be a mega cap, but I guess, but it's nothing close to that anymore. But these tech companies, what do you think they're going to show for the, for the week? You know, I, I, I have to stop myself from, you know, projecting out where I, I feel I don't actually have an information advantage. So you know, yeah. with, with these other tech companies, I, I kind of think that the results aren't going to be as bad as people might fear. But uh, frankly, I just don't study them closely enough to think I really have a, an advantage there, you know, like I do yeah. with, with Tesla. So um, yeah. I'm kind of hoping for the best, frankly, but um, yeah, like, like Netflix, Very for example, you know, they, they had a horrible quarter in Q1. And I think that led to a lot of the fears just like industry-wide uh, in yeah. Q1. And so I feel like if yeah. they have a good report or if some of these other kind of more discretionary, you know, tech companies have had earnings results that are not nearly as bad as people may be fearing, that could help to, to be a bit of a rally. But in terms of, yeah. you know, like my 50% mark would probably be right where analysts are expecting because they're, they're following it more closely than I am. Yeah, I would say, I'm in the same boat. Like, I'm uncertain. I don't study any of these other companies super carefully and nothing close to Tesla or the other stocks we follow. You know, there's a lot of more big conglomerates at this point. Um, I got to think that there's, uh, you know, negative news kind of discounted, expected into the market at this point The last from the last few days. So you got to think like if they just come out to meet expectations of the analysts that the market would react positively. But that's, you know, that, I'm trying to read like the tea leaves of the market sentiment, I guess, for the day or whatever. And you got to think that enough negativity has been priced in where if they just meet expectations, maybe the stocks go up a little bit. So that's what I'm, where I'm leaning, but I'm not certain, you know, maybe 60, 40 feeling that. So, um, well, let's move to Tesla. I mean, their earnings report last week, uh, we haven't, we, we, we talked about it before their earnings report, you know, last Tuesday was the day before and earnings came out and, you know, the big, I think, surprise no one was ready for was the Bitcoin. You know, everyone was expecting a fight like a $480 million Bitcoin impairment or something, but sort of like the opposite happened. They sold like 80% or 75% of the Bitcoin and, and generated like a realized profit on it even, I think. Right. Is that right? And yeah, so that there was a realized profit on, um, Actually, it was the, technically, I think, from the the way the accounting rules would go is they, they had an impairment on the full amount based on the lowest price that occurred within the quarter. But then because they sold before quarter end, they got to realize a gain, which kind of offset that uh, that that impairment. Uh, I think there was still like a minus $100 million impact somewhere in the neighborhood, a little bit yeah. less than that, I think. Um, but yeah, not nearly as much as, as people would have thought. And, and I think the, probably the bigger news rather than, you know, just like a one-time item not being as bad as maybe people might have feared was that, um, you know, for the, all the Gary Blacks or like the institutions of the world out there that just don't like the fact that Tesla was holding Bitcoin, it's like, okay, great, we can focus on fundamentals now and this, this sideshow is over. Um, so I think it was probably some of that, um, you know, rally that we saw last Thursday, I think was probably related a bit to to that and, and some institutions getting a little bit more comfortable with it. Probably, you know, a bit of a short squeeze going on too, I, I would think there. 
Um, but mm. like overall, it was just a really, really good earnings report. I thought, was there something that's, that stuck out in, in particular to you that was, uh, either like unexpected or just like, um, different than, than maybe you were thinking? Yeah, no, nothing that I can recall, uh, that stuck out the most. I mean, I listened to the earnings call and everyone's analysis afterwards and, you know, I, I, I thought overall it was just a very great um, show of efficiency of their operating efficiency and their ability to stay to have industry leading gross margins in spite of, you know, having their biggest factories idled for so long or Shanghai. I, I, I sort of uh, also further solidified my belief that Giga Shanghai is like the major breadwinner within Tesla. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that changes anytime soon. Uh, so for me, Giga Shanghai is like amazing in terms of the profit <laughs> margins. I think it generates like I don't they don't break it out by factory. But if they did, I think many people I think many, many of us would be surprised at just how much it separates itself from Fremont in terms of op, in terms of efficiency and um, just gross margins. And I think June saved the quarter, you know, yeah, in Shanghai oh, being sure. and being yeah. passive for June. I think that saved the quarter and no one. Uh, I, so I, I think this quarter is going to be amazing. Next quarter is going to be amazing. I hope that um, Giga Austin and Giga Berlin come up to be, you know, when you combine them, maybe they come up to be an asset to Tesla equal to Shanghai. But by then Shanghai will have further expanded, I think. And, you know, I just don't know. I think. I don't know if it's a risk, but um, I just think it's like a lot of eggs are in the basket of Giga Shanghai for a Tesla, I feel like. And uh, that's a good thing, but it's also a bad. It's also a risky thing, you know, because, you know, if uh, China shuts down again or if there's controversy between, you know, economic economic wars between the U.S. and China that affects somehow the relationship that could be a risk, you know, but. The, the more international Tesla becomes, hopefully the less, the more, the, the less of a difference that would become. That's just my own, you know, I don't have anything to show for that. Just my feeling is that Giga Shanghai is like tremendous and the people there work super hard. It's like Elon Musk work ethic times the 20,000 workers there on the floor, you know, sleeping yeah. on the factory floors, doing working day and I do whatever's asked of them. You know, you just, I just don't think you can match the Chinese work ethic on this stuff. You know, like it just, there's a reason why so many major manufacturers love to manufacture things in China. So yeah, that's, that, that, that was, uh, I, you know, looking at the gross market, I don't know. That was, I was just reading that, but I, that's sort of a tangent, but, um, China's a big deal for Tesla. That's what I think. Yeah, they are. But I, I, I want to keep in mind too, that even before China launched, I mean, Tesla was having gross margins of around 20% based on production out of Fremont. So like, I, I think it's safe to assume that that has increased since then, uh, particularly with the, with the launch of the you know Plaid S and X and you know Model Y being a big, bigger part of the mix than it was back then. Um, so, mm -hmm. in my mind, like I, I went back, I think we said this on the you know, EPS estimate uh, show that we did about a month ago, um, but like I went through and kind of estimated what the Fremont margin, gross margin, would have been, you know, back in 2019, 2020. And then kind of started guest like guesstimating essentially how that would have increased over time. And basically, I assumed it only incre increased like I don't know five percent, something like that. So then, you if you do the mix shift between you know Shanghai and get that all together by by my estimate, and of course this you got to take this with a grain of salt. But I think the the difference between gross margin in in Fremont and Shanghai was between five and ten percent, if if I want to say so. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly meaningful and and like having Shanghai up and running for uh, the full quarter and, and frankly, even like the, the additional benefit of higher output now that these uh, uh, this, this kind of increased capacity has, has been put in place, uh, that's going to do really great things for, for margin for sure. Um, but I don't think it's the case that it's like, you know, free think is five to 10 percent based on your kind of analysis. I'm thinking it's maybe like 10 to 15 percent. I don't know. Maybe. 15%. That's what I'm thinking. I'm guessing. 15, I don't know. I just, I'm I, I have a hard time seeing the math. I have a hard yeah. time seeing the math working out to be that way. Unless like Fremont gross margin completely stalled. Um, and mm -hmm. then like the whole increase since Shanghai came online is only yeah. due to Shanghai being higher than Fremont. Uh, that would have to explain it. Cause then you've got like Sh Fremont, I think at the time would have been around 20% gross margins. 
Um, and so then to get to roughly 30% uh, all in or a little bit less than that X credits, um, yeah, they, they, Shanghai would have to be like 35 or something like that. So yeah. to me, it just doesn't seem likely that Fremont margins have not improved at all, um, mm -hmm. especially with Model Y coming in there. So I, I think mm -hmm. it's it's definitely an important, you know, it, it's clearly more profitable in, in Shanghai, but I don't think it's like 15 mm percent -hmm. to me that seems a little bit too high but i mean we're talking about the margins like it's a very yeah, small yeah, yeah. kind of difference i think that, yeah. that we're negotiating yeah. over yeah yeah yeah. but it's a difference <laughs> yeah but yeah i guess people will we'll find out I, I could be certainly wrong i just my gut feels that shanghai is much bigger contributor than most people think um mm -hmm. I, yeah anyway i wonder if that could be like a question we could ask on like we can get that question like upvoted somehow in uh I don't know if I want to know the answer, though. I don't know if I want people to know the answer. I don't know <laughs> if I want it to be public. That might just make if if I'm right. I don't know, but maybe I'm not right. But uh, they might not. They wouldn't even if you asked them in the annual shareholder meeting if they got that question asked or something. I I doubt they'd give a clear answer. That you know they'd keep that card probably in their pocket. They don't have to disclose that. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's true. I don't. They, they've been very. I don't want to say cagey, but uh, you know they don't want to give away so much information that people are kind of extrapolating trends, you know, month to month, because there's so much volatility within the stock already. You know, I think they, once they get to a point of some somewhat maturity where you don't have, you're not ramping, maybe you're ramping like 20% a year rather than 50. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the financials are a little bit more, um, you know, like analysts aren't missing EPS by 40% like they are today. <laughs> like maybe yeah. then it makes sense to, to, you know, disclose a little bit more, but uh, yeah. yeah, they're probably not going to do it right now. Carl Branco in the YouTube comments brings up an interesting point in saying that Tesla risk in China remains high until BYD and others grab a significant, like Xpeng or Neo, grab a significant foothold overseas outside of China. Then a political action against Tesla would risk their own EV industries. That's an interesting point. So maybe, um, maybe when China's own, you know, uh, EV producers are exporting significantly to the US as well, then there'll be more of a balance of, and and the risk of Tesla in China is not going to be as great. That's interesting to think about, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And then and then Monday, they had their 10Q yesterday. Anything interesting from the 10Q that you learned, Matt? Anything? I know you probably combed through that stuff. I, I didn't go through <laughs> it line by line. But, uh, you know, did you see anything that stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it was some of the things that that do stick out were present in the the um, the investor deck as well. But I, I like the I think some of the the bigger takeaways were that the services and energy margins finally increased. So, um, you know, one of our theses was that the services gross margin would increase really substantially because you got leases coming off now that Tesla can sell yes. at a profit. So yeah. that seems to have happened, but maybe not as, uh, as as much of a gain as, as we were expecting. So I think I was forecasting roughly $100 million of, of gross margin on the services line, uh, ended up being something like $50 million, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So to me, that seems like, okay, well, that's like reasonably accurate. But then the, the big surprise, I think, was on energy. Uh, so energy uh, really was was quite profitable. And, and then the thing that showed yeah. up in the, in the 10Q, which was interesting, was that there was a, I think it was like a $200 million increase in deferred revenue on the energy side. Um, and so I was trying to think through what what could that be? Because like with, with deferred revenue, you think of like a, a full self-driving sale that they haven't delivered the functionality on or, or something like that. Uh, but on the energy side, I'm trying to figure out what could be quite that substantial, um, mm -hmm. but that would be classified as, as, as deferred revenue. So I don't know. I mean, it, it could be some sort of like prepayment for... Um, like future period um uh auto bidder you know performance or something like that i'm not sure but um i thought it was interesting and, and the margins on that revenue is really unknown so like you've got to assume that it's like five percent margins but who knows if it's like a huge auto bidder sale or something like that um then it could be very high margin uh going forward and, and that could like if all of a sudden you've got like a 25% gross margin software sale that starts hitting yeah. the books that literally nobody was expecting. Uh, like yeah. That could be a very meaningful catalyst going forward. And then all of a sudden, analysts who have completely discounted energy to this point might have to start saying, oh, shoot, like I didn't realize that auto bidder was going to be so profitable. Yeah. So yeah. Like, that's 
that's clearly in the realm of like pure speculation. Um, but that that to me stuck out as like a really interesting thing that they didn't give a whole lot of detail around what exactly that that was related to. Yeah, that's some questions that hopefully get brought up at the shareholder meeting or next earnings call. Yeah. People can ask more about that detail, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, so boil down to yeah. H says it like it could be solar leases, but that that wouldn't be classified as deferred revenue because for leases mm. you you kind of pay as you go. So like you pay for the use of the asset each month. So from Tesla's perspective, they don't have deferred revenue. They actually have an asset on their books that they depreciate, and then they get the re they recognize the revenue each month um, yeah. as as the lease. But it wouldn't. It's not like you get two hundred million dollars up front from a solar customer and then like you know you just start uh, paying it down. That's not how that type of uh, lease would work. So yeah. I, I don't know exactly what it would be. But yeah, it could another be sort of thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, another tidbit from their earnings call that I see Tesla Economics remind me of is that Elon did make a statement that he believed inflation would more likely come down towards the end of this year. Um, and he's, you know, I mean, Elon Musk, you know, predicts the future better than anyone. <laughs> and in, like the most crazy things, like who thought a recession would be like this summer or what, you know, when he said it like a year ago, or I don't know, it's just like somehow this guy, not only like engineering and rocket science, but now he's like some for fortune teller of the macro market economy. I'm like, what the heck? So I believe him now. I have to believe him that, you know, yeah. that he's more likely right than wrong on that too. Like, so I think the market is not a, you know, doesn't didn't take it seriously. People don't. So hopefully, the Fed gets their signals ahead of time. Like they have some some way to to see the signals ahead of time, sort of lagging indicators, looking and agree with Elon's statement, and maybe would um, not be so hawkish. Uh, but that was an interesting statement when someone asked him about it on the earnings call, and he did give his view that he thought inflation would be coming down, hopefully, and that it was like embarrassing how much they had to raise their prices. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> So I don't think they realistically lower their prices, though. You know, I don't even think you should have said that because now you have like if people if there was headlines about that, then you'd have a lot of people like holding off waiting like, oh, wait till next year when the prices get lower. You just have people holding off. But I don't think there's an issue anyway. But I, I doubt they lower their prices, even if inflation comes down at this point. Do you think they're going to lower their prices, though? Or do you think I like not until demand, you know, gets quenched or satiated a little bit. I yeah. mean, like if, if you've got a years, six month wait think, time, yeah. don't yeah. lower prices. Like that doesn't make any sense. So, but it, no. you know, if you get down to the, the, you know, point where you've got, let's say Fremont or um, Berlin and Austin really start ramping, you know, plus uh, Shanghai is increasing their, their output. Um, like that alone is, is a supply boost. So that should, you know, if, if demand remains stagnant, then your um, your wait times should decrease substantially just with you know new capacity coming online. Um, so it's a the, I think the the real question is you know do Teslas really really sell more Teslas and you know does all the other you know free advertising of Tesla owners out there you know telling their neighbors like does that trend continue such that um, you know wait lists stay at like six months plus even in this situation of, of drastically increasing supply, you know, or, you know, does the, have, have we kind of like max out that market of people who are willing to pay $70,000, $80,000 for, for a car and they need to lower prices. So if they need yeah. to lower prices, they've got the wiggle room to do that, uh, could have a gross margin impact, but it's not the sort of thing that would like cut gross margin in half. Um, you know, if, if they need to, um, you know, lower prices a little bit to, uh, get to a, a broader pool of, of consumers. So, um, yeah. I think they'll be fine either way, but it's it's a legitimate question in my mind of like, do they need to cut prices? And in my model, just to be reasonably conservative, I assume they cut, I think 10% next year was what I was assuming they cut prices by and then like 5% each year thereafter. So hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the I mean, the wider release um, of uh, FSD beta will certainly add to margins and the take rate appears to be, trickling up i thought i think troy tests like you know i don't know he's done some analysis and we sort of speculate that it's it's coming up and um it, you know so far it's hard to say if it's coming up materially or just a, a little bit the take rate but i i would expect that as this quarter goes on and this next release in the next like week or so comes out you know i've seen the chuck cook even show his uh you know i guess they've been watching some of these cars that tesla's uh, putting out there to test his unprotected left turn and it looks great what they're doing now like these cars like oh i haven't seen those I, 
Yeah. He's shown a couple examples of the car, like a black Tesla, like that, I guess, works for Tesla doing Texas play validating. And, yeah. Yeah. Validating yeah. the new software. And it's um, coming out to the median perfectly and waiting right there. And then come, you know, it's like better than I would do it, you know? So um, that's one instance though. Let's see if it does that type of thing across all the unprotected left turns in a similar case. Right. And then there's other yeah. factors like, is it, um, you know, one thing with my car that, you know, I, I said that I use FSD beta like almost all the time, except when I'm in a hurry, you know, if I'm in a hurry <laughs> and I don't want to use FSD beta on the highway, because on the highway, it, it, it like, for some reason, it chooses to stay behind the slow truck, even though I have the speedometer set to be like 10 miles and a mile faster, it'll be in like the right lane behind the slow truck instead of getting to the left lane to like get in front yeah. of it. So that's kind of, you know, hopefully they fix things like that, because then it'll be more convenient. Right now, it's it's great if I'm not in a hurry, I'll just put it on and just like relax and like daydream about things or whatever, not think about the road. <laughs> Unless I see an imminent danger, then I know to take over. My mind alerts me to take over. But, um, you know, if I'm in a rush to like pick up my kids somewhere or get somewhere, then I usually don't use it on the high on the highway, at least. Or, you know, anyway, yeah. they'll, they'll improve it. So it's exciting to see um, this improvement coming on. And I think the take rate will continue to rise. I don't see it going down. The take rate can only go up from here, right? Yeah, it's well, that was one of the things I think I, I've been forecasting like a 15% take rate um, in, in Q2. After mm -hmm. looking through the results, and in particular, the, the deferred revenue, it didn't really jump as much as I would have thought. Uh, uh, if you look at their balance sheet, like their current deferred revenue balance, yeah, uh, didn't really increase quite substantially. So I've, uh, I actually lowered my, my forecast, I assume 10% take rate. Um, so uh, but but this is like we've talked about this before. Like if if I was too high on FSD take rate, that meant that I was actually too low on like their core manufacturing gross margin. So mm -hmm. um, that's like I've, I've I've taken up my, my manufacturing gross margin and taking down my yeah. FSD take rate. And and yeah. what that actually does, if you think about it, is it creates a huge amount of more uh, opportunity because if tech, take rate goes from say ten to twenty. Then you've got like a massive increase in gross margin. So like it's actually easier to double take rate from you know 10% to 20 than you know where it used to be at 25 to 50. So yeah. like the opportunity is still so gigantic. And and I think people don't really appreciate that since take rate has been you know trending down over the last couple of years instead of trending up. Um, but Elon, yeah. you like reiterated that again on this call that even at twelve thousand dollars, FSD was like a ridiculously good value. Yeah. And another note from the earnings call, this reminds me of that. He like tripled down on him thinking it's going to be wide release by the end of this year. End of this year is like four months away. It's like, it's not much, not very far. So it's not like, it, not like the end of last year when he was on Lex Friedman's podcast and he thinks it'll be sometime in 2000, you know, um, 22, which would be like anywhere between it's like a 12 month window. Mm -hmm. Now he's saying he still thinks by the end of this year, which is like four months away, you know, like, I'm skeptical. I, I'm going to say I disagree with Elon there. Yeah, like yeah. he's been late with these timelines so many times. And like, even with this latest update, like he was saying like back in January, I think he said single stack would be ready in February. <laughs> and it's like, here we are back like in July and okay, well, you yeah. know, 10.4, whatever the next one is close to single state or uh, uh, single, single stack. stack. Yeah. It basically um, already is. Yeah. He said something <laughs> like that, but yeah. it's not quite, like yeah. actually single stack. So like yeah. this, I think this problem is just way harder. And, and like, I'm still seeing too, too many issues on a daily basis. Like it's still way better than it was back in October when I got it. Uh, but the rate of improvement yeah. hasn't been as significant. And, and frankly, just like the, the pace of, of how many updates we've had has been Recently. too slow in my mind yeah. to, to make me believe that we'll get there, you know, by the end of the year, unless they really start getting back to like that two week cadence that they were at for like, <laughs> I don't know, a month or two. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see this next update in the next week or so. I think he said he's targeting it to get out. Um, that's ex I'm Seems excited. Like a big this, one. Is a, this is a big one. Big deal. Yeah. Uh, I see breakfast pizza saying Farza's interview of Chuck Cook was a great discussion on the variety of challenges. Yeah. We interviewed Chuck Cook on our channel way back too. And I was really Chuck's very uh, got a lot of good um, knowledge to drop in, from his experience and just his background, I think. So um yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have to watch that farza interview with me i didn't get a chance to watch it yet yeah i didn't know he did that I, that's, go, yeah it was like a week ago my uh watch list okay yeah yeah, yeah. I, was, 
I was like out of commission for the last week or so for the most part. So I'm sure I've got a lot to catch up. Yeah. On. <laughs> now, last point about Tesla before we probably should just jump to Q&A soon. But the la- one thing I wanted, a big item with Tesla potentially is the upgrade with S&P and Moody's that everyone's speculating will will happen soon. Um, I think mm-hmm. uh, Alexandra, Tesla mama, or what's her name? Something like Alexandra, that. Alexandra, um, yeah. Tesla boomer yeah. mama. Tesla Boomer Mama, yeah, you had her on. Uh, I think, yeah, we talked to her before, or somehow, somewhere in some other channel or this channel. But um, we respect her views on stuff, especially her knowledge on ESG. And I think she worked for S and P credit rating agencies or something at one point. Or so she has some unique background to have good knowledge or insight on this. And she speculates that um, there's like two downtimes a year that these investment committees or investment grade rating committees um, use to to upgrade the companies they don't want to have to upgrade, but they have to. And that's like the week before, week between Christmas and New Year's when no one's going to like no press or no one's going to complain too much or like in August when they meet because that's like the end of the summer, everyone's on vacation. So she sort of speculates that um, sometime in the next month that uh, this window uh in this window, the S and P committee and Moody's investment grade committee will upgrade Tesla to investment grade. I mean, that would be interesting. Gary Black seems to uh, think it's likely as well. And we've all been speculating for like a year or two years that this would happen and it hasn't happened. They're so late. It's ridiculous. They're so late. They just got kicked out of the ESG index. It's like, what, what, what's going on over there? Yeah. Yeah. What's going on over there? Ridiculous. So, they were so late on including them in the S&P 500 index too. So mm-hmm. um, I think it'll happen. And I think it, it's, there's a very good chance it happens uh, this month in the next month. And uh, I think it could be a bigger deal than people realize. I don't, it's nothing close to the S&P 500 inclusion in terms of how many shares have to be bought or anything like that. But I just think it opens the doors, opens so many new doors for instance, so many new institutional investors that simply are not allowed to invest in Tesla right now, but they would if they could. But now the doors open. It doesn't mean they'll buy Tesla right away, but I think it, it means, you know, that they'll, there'll be more support for Tesla. There'll be some marginal buyers maybe right away, but um, I think it just looks, it's really good for Tesla's stock performance going forward once it gets upgraded to investment grade, which is where it should have been for the last like two years anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I try to have like a, a middle of the road viewpoint about all these things. So I don't want to be like an Uber bull, but when I'm looking at the second half of this year with like Q3 margins and, you know, Shanghai being up and running and the, the new plants coming online and, um, and then like external catalysts like, like this, um, to me, it seems like there's a lot of potential good news coming in, in terms of like positive catalysts where, you know, we've had a macro drag, like Tesla's been crushing it on fundamentals all year. Um, like Q2 was an anomaly for sure, but they still did way better than people were expecting. So when like those issues are gone and if macro is, you know, neutral to positive, um, yeah, we could have a, a pretty exciting second half of the year. So, um, yeah, no, not this... investment advice, but it, <laughs> it does seem like that the, yeah, the, you know, uh, scale is tilting a little bit in favor of a, of a bullish, yeah. you know, output from here. Yeah. It's so dependent on also the macro market, you know, like if the macro market crashes further, another 40%, let's say then Tesla, maybe it crashes, you know, with it, but not as much as it would have otherwise. But, uh, yeah, if the macro market can rebound, you know, then Tesla could have a really incredible, uh, performance we think so yeah there's a lot of its macro market dependent unfortunately um but we still believe in the long term as a long-term investor in tesla the stock will be what it is right but for the next six to nine months or 12 months it's very dependent on the macro market conditions so yeah um all right let's go to let's just go to q a i know we had a couple other items but why don't we just go to q a yeah, we can talk um, on metro mile lemonade maybe next week yeah from doge nation on YouTube. Hey, fellas, thoughts on the White House changing the definition of a recession? Laughing my ass off. Insane, right? Clearly, we have negative GDP times two on Thursday, but it's baked in. Yeah, I saw this. Uh, <laughs> I saw the White House put out some like press release saying like, this isn't really a recession, even though most people think it's like technically two quarters of t- it was like trying to like change the definition of a recession, um, you know, but 
I don't know, just because they put out a press release saying that, you know, employment's strong. It's not really a recession. Like, I don't know. Technically, it's a recession. You know, this is semantics, right? But the de definition of a recession, we all agree, is two consecutive quarters negative GDP growth. Maybe you can call it something else. Say, say it's like a, a recession that's not so bad or something. I don't know. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> but it is a recession. You know, when we start trying to change the definition of the word recession just to fit the narrative the White House wants so that the vote does not a major red wave in November, <laughs> which there probably will be no matter what at this point, um, then I don't know. It's Everyone knows it's they're just drawing more scrutiny on on themselves by you know saying that i think um but yeah gdp to, on thursday it seems pretty clear especially after walmart just <laughs> said what they said seems pretty clear that all the signals are there that like hey gdp is actually negative uh for the second quarter i don't know with, with walmart though their top line is is actually growing so mm. like that's like gdp is kind of more like top line not bottom line so that's like, a good point I didn't think of it that I, way. I, I'm not so sure. Um, like, hmm. I don't know. I, I, I'm certainly expecting a, a recession. You know, I think there's been too much, you know, bad news going in. And, like, people are feeling the, like, I just bought some groceries this morning. And, yeah, it's not, like, things don't cost what they used to. That's, like, very clear. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me completely if, if we didn't have a recession. But, again, like, I'm not the expert on this topic. So I'm going to... Um, you know, yeah. not try to time the market by thinking I know something that, that you know, others don't. I think the official estimate is like positive point something percent, but the Atlanta Fed is saying like negative 1.5% or something. I don't know. So estimates are kind of all over the place around zero, but I, you know, we'll see, I guess on Thursday, whether we get to find it, we can call it a recession or not, I guess. <laughs> so next, next question from, Obergowich, Doug, Doug Obergowich on, on YouTube Live. Any concerns about Russia shutting down Giga Berlin through throttling natural gas? I haven't looked into that threat um, myself. Um, I saw some someone talk about it, I think, like a week or two weeks ago, saying it's not an issue for X, Y, and Z. I can't remember specifically, but uh, that was a few weeks ago when the idea of this was first being thrown out there that I saw. Um, but I don't recall exactly why they said that. Have you looked into this at all, Matt, or any thoughts on this? No, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to, to what extent they're, you know, truly relying on, on natural gas. Like, um, I, I just, to me, like if, if, if the Russia, you know, uh, Europe situations deteriorate, I think the issue is, is probably more so a, like huge macro, like recession, you know, um, potential for like a greater European war type of situation yeah. rather than like Giga Berlin doesn't have a physical flow of natural gas. Like to me, to me, it's like, yeah. that's the the bigger issue, not, you know, the micro situation at the, at the Berlin plant. Um, yeah. You know, I think most of the machines probably use electricity, which comes from a variety of sources. Of course you need natural gas for a lot of the, the power plants that, that make the electricity. Uh, but natural gas itself is mostly used just for like heating and a couple industrial processes. I don't know if it's used for like, drying of the uh, like some of like the battery materials um or or even the paint shop um i'm not sure exactly how that's that's used in there but i think the the electricity is probably the bigger concern I, i'd be more concerned about that as a macro risk than like a you know company specific risk yeah yeah next question from rob bomack on youtube live why the 20 billion cash equivalents Shouldn't they deploy that somewhere other than overnight CDs? Or do you think they're hedging against a downturn? Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're probably want to have that amount of cash or cash equivalents uh, to hedge against a force majeure event that Elon talks about, you know, like global macro crash or World War Three or, you know, any number of major global calamities that could happen that, you know, we don't it's like a black swan event. We can't expect it because it's a black swan precisely. That's why, but we can know that black swans will happen. We just don't know what they are. That's why they're called black swans. So I think um, that's sort of the idea maybe behind keeping a buffer. I guess that's what the question is alluding to. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's that. I also think the, the cash that gets reported at the end of each quarter because of, of flows of working capital is always going to be like a local peak within the three months of, of each quarter. Um, so if you think of the delivery waves where they've got cars in transit for the first two months of each quarter for the most part, and then the vast majority of the deliveries happen in the third month of each quarter, that means almost all your cash is coming in uh, in that third month. So mm -hmm. it seems reasonable to me that like 
if we were to get a daily chart of of you know, like cash balance over the quarter for Tesla, maybe the low point is some something like fifteen billion dollars or potentially even lower. I mean, if you think about mm. let's say two two hundred thousand cars, um, you know, being shipped but not paid for or something like that. Uh, at an average, like a drawdown in the first quarter yeah. or the first month or so, two months, and then yeah. it comes back up at the third month. Yeah. If, if the average cost is $50,000, then that's a $10 billion just kind of like working capital timing issue. So, so I think yeah. it's important to keep in mind that like you do need to have that working capital balance, which is pro I don't know, probably $5 billion ish somewhere in there, I would guess. Um, but then I think you also want to have a, a decent buffer for, you know, the, the situation you talked about, Emmett, or just like, unknown unknowns or 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 whatever yeah. um but it, it may also be the case that they you know really are just so convinced that they've solved fsd that they want to start building their own robo taxi fleet and that's capital intensive or something like that yeah. so i you know i think i kind of agree with gary black people kind of throw a lot of crap at him uh but like he the way he described this recently was like let's just take as much money as you need management for all those pet projects or things that you believe in, even if I personally am skeptical of them and don't think that they're going to be done. But then if you're left with say 5 billion or more, you know, why not do a buyback with that? Like to, to me, that makes sense. So I, I kind of, I trust management that they are going to, you know, like be prudent with the amount of cash that they need. But in my mind, once you've kind of satiated all that you reasonably can foresee spending on capex and, you know, Tesla bot, you know, fleets and robo taxi fleets and everything like that. If there is something left over, I'd be in favor of like a buyback or something like that. All right. Next question from Kelly Stoker, one, two, three on Twitter. Do you have concerns about Rocket Lab's ability to find top talent due to their locations being in New Zealand or New Mexico and New Mexico? Um, I actually think New Zealand is a draw for top talent, to be <laughs> honest. That's like one of the top places to live in the world, in my opinion. Uh, and I think a lot of people probably think that. Um, but there are probably some people that don't want to go over there that live in the U.S. or whatever. But there's brilliant people all over the world that want to do rocket science stuff. And, um, you know, I, I don't think they have a, a I, I don't think they'll have a problem finding top talent. Um, I think the people um, that are in that that want to go into the industry you know they're obviously spacex is number one coming out of engineering but i think rocket lab is more like more and more likely becoming uh a a, a well-known destination for a long career in the in the space business just because of their successes continuous success of launching things to lower earth orbit and no one else is other than spacex i don't know that's just my opinion but i guess i don't i haven't talked to any students that are leaving you know prestigious schools to go to work at in spa the space industry or anything yeah and, and they've also got um you know facilities in, in virginia right on the coast there and i mean one of the nice things about any launch company is that they're typically going to be located on the coast and so that, you know that's a bit of a draw anyways right yeah. um but like particularly where they are in, in virginia on the the outer banks at uh it's like chico teague or something like that um they've yeah. uh like that's not too far away from like the, what is it? The research triangle or something like that in, in yeah. North Carolina or Virginia or something. So um, yeah. you look at the the quality of the people that they've got, the, the, you know, frankly, really audacious things they're doing, like with this helicopter catching and designing a brand new thing and, you know, making very meaningful um, innovations on like 3d printing of, of rockets. And, and frankly, their um, their electron, rocket uh we're using batteries for um a fuel pump like that's completely unprecedented so to me like the the proof is in the pudding and, and they've been able to innovate at a level that i think is is only surpassed by by spacex uh, i mean like blue origin's got great people right got plenty of resources but yeah what have they done like they're not yeah they're not sending stuff to low earth orbit so yeah. to, to me it seems clear that they've got the right people in 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 place yeah Next question from Brent Banks on YouTube Live. What will be the catalyst to push Tesla back over a thousand? Huge quarter three numbers, AI day number two. Yeah, I mean, I think the catalyst to push Tesla back over a thousand is going to be the macro markets, to be honest. Um, you know, I think just without any further news on Tesla, um, it could get over a thousand if the macro markets just kind of rebound a bit more, like tomorrow's FOMC meeting and then the GDP print, and the, you know, 
the macro market's digested and everything seems fine. There's stability in the earnings season goes, you know, as expected. And it's not like worse than people expect. I think, you know, money gets put back to work in the, in equities, a lot of cash slowly comes off the sidelines maybe. And, and uh, that would be the best case scenario for, for Tesla. I don't know. I don't necessarily think they need a, another catalyst, but if in that time frame between now and then Q3 and Q4 earnings reports and deliveries reports, those are also, I think, catalysts, but um, more short term, like one day, 5% jumps or something like that. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I mean, they weren't too far away. I think they hit 840 last week. So, I mean, they're only $160 away uh, from 1000 which is yeah, which is not you know, not too shabby, honestly. Um, but like yeah. you, you've got, we, we touched on the, the, you know, uh, credit rating upgrade. I think that could be a catalyst that alone wouldn't That's do true. it certainly, yep. but like you've got stock split, you've got AI day number two. I don't think that'll be a catalyst because I, I don't think wall street will give them any credit whatsoever on that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think the combination of, you know, credit rating, um, stock split, and maybe solid Q3. I could see that, you know, pushing it up there. Again, not investment yeah. advice, but to me, I think you, you like a combination of the three of those with like not horrible macro. I could yeah. see that uh, getting yeah. over a thousand. The best thing about Tesla right now versus in the past is like Tesla doesn't need a specific catalyst anymore. Like in the past, when they weren't profitable and they were coming, it's like they need the catalyst. They need to unveil the Model X. That's the catalyst. Or they need to like <laughs> make the first delivery of this car. That's the catalyst, you know, or whatever. And, and that, that was, you know, you had to hope for these catalysts and you would hope that they impact the stock price. And sometimes they would, but a lot of times they wouldn't. And it would be disappointing um, because in an event that you thought like you, that would be a catalyst to the, the Cybertruck unveiling or whatever, you know, like. Um, but today, like you don't need a specific catalyst for Tesla, as long as the underlying business, which is, is on all four cylinders, which at the moment it is. So as long as this underlying business of Tesla manufacturing the cars and selling them, you know, is, is on all four cylinders, that's all you need. And that's, that, that'll be shown in the, in the delivery, you know, production delivery numbers at the end of, uh, you know, the first couple of days of October and the first couple of days of January. So that's that's the I guess that's a long catalyst. Like just for the next six months, can they just stay fully operational and as a business? You know, if that that's the catalyst, I think that brings them most likely back to a thousand. Yeah. From next big future on YouTube Live, how you doing? Okay, what do you think of China reports that Shanghai is at twenty two hundred per day Model Y and twelve hundred Model Three in August with upgrades? 900 per day over pre-upgrade of, oh, yeah, it's true. 80,000 more in Q4. Yeah, that's that's the speculation is there's going to be, um, you know, very high production rate here in Shanghai imminently. It's already 2,200 per day in Model Y is, is sort of what is going around. I think Kev, Kelvin Yang is a guy I follow on Twitter and has a lot of good info. And he showed that, he he, he confirmed that rumor, I think. Um, so, or he, he showed who confirmed it. Um so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is the backbone of Tesla. You know, what I was talk, what I was talking about earlier, China's Shanghai is like super important with their gross margin to production capacity. This is like the backbone of Tesla globally at the moment is the Shanghai yeah. factory up and running. And this is great news. Can it stay? Um, can it keep can it keep this for the next six months without like a shutdown or some major event? And that, that's as long as that happens, I think it's incredible news for Tesla's business. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I try not to get too down in the weeds on on my forecasting just because I know Troy does it better than than I do. Um, but like, gosh, it's so it's so exciting how quickly they're ramping this up. Like, I, I was not really expecting them to to be able to put out numbers like this so, so quickly. So um, yeah, I, I I kind of suspect it's true. I mean, they've been talking about increasing that capacity for a long time, so it shouldn't really be surprising to us that they're that it's actually coming to fruition. But um, yeah, like I think Q3. That like the the funny thing with Q3 is that with this July shutdown, you're going to have the anti you know good news of you lost two weeks of production from these shutdowns. But then in in Q4, like you've just got you know that much more of a, of a catalyst because you'll have, you know, ironed out the processes and presumably the, the, the rates are going to be at their, their highest in Q4. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just super excited for the second half of this year, honestly. Um, like I, 
I'm looking at this so much as a value play. Like I think in in you know 2021, after the huge run up that we saw, it was like, all right, well, like you know, Tesla's valuation kind of makes sense given um, how profitable they are and like how much more growth potential is still ahead. But now that the stocks come down so significantly, like just using really kind of like bare bones uh like pe ratios and stuff like that is to me it's like it's becoming a value play in in the growth sector which is just kind of crazy and then you've got this you know all these call options that you and i talk about all the time Emmett, like layered on top of that so yeah i'm just i'm loving being long right now like of course it was great when everything was just like you know vertical up always but uh, yeah i think like this is like when you actually make the money is when you're harvesting you know during the times when a lot lot of people are like fearful and that sort of thing or not harvesting but planting yeah yeah absolutely uh, I see a quick question from Breakfast Pizza. Is it what announcements would surprise you at AI Day? I don't know what would surprise. I'm I'm ready for surprises. I'm I'm I'll be surprised if I'm not surprised at AI Day. I guess uh, so. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, that was another thing you talked about in the earnings call. Something alluding to like AI Day. He doesn't want to spill the bean or doesn't want to like give away too much. He's got some big, and you know it's going to be special or something. AI Day Part Two. So, all right, let's do the next question uh, posted on the screen here. Alec, we'll put the last, this will be the last question, I think. Um, We'll shut it down. So from Kevin on YouTube Live, Matt, any thoughts on the energy numbers released in the Tesla Q2 10Q SEC filing? Yeah, so a a couple of surprises. One we alluded to earlier was the huge jump in in deferred revenue on the energy side. That was, I was kind of puzzling over that one. If anyone has any ideas in, in the comments, please, please drop them in there. Um, so, so to me, that one's very, you know, surprising. Uh, but the, the other thing that I, I found, well, another one would just be the, the gross margin itself. Um, Farzad asked last week on, on this live stream, whether I thought energy could surprise on gross margin. And I was like, no, <laughs> just like in the long term, <laughs> energy will be great, but I don't think they'll, you know, there was nothing, you know, looking at all the news releases and, and everything yeah. this court, there was nothing that kind of indicated that any like, major progress that would have been made on energy gross margins. But sure enough, they, they turned the corner and it really surprised with it was like over $100 million of gross margin instead of like negative where they had been. Uh, so that was a huge surprise. Um, but then on the, the SEC filing, too, the other thing that surprised a little bit was the uh, the so much of the deployments on stationary storage was on the Powerwall side. I kind of thought that Megapacks would have been leading the, the sequential increases in storage deployments. So I was pretty surprised that um, there was so there were so many like power walls and and smaller storage uh, systems that were that were deployed. Um, the other thing that keeps me kind of interested about this is that like we're we're seeing this pilot right now in California, and I think we talked about this on one of the last streams recently. But um, like we're just starting to get into the point where Tesla is like starting in Texas and in California um, to do some like pilot programs where they're actually aggregating these power walls together in a virtual power plant and trying to provide some grid stability back into the grid. Like this is not going to be a moneymaker for Tesla in the moment, but to me, it's a very important step of, of them going to these regulators and to these, you know, grid operators and saying, all right, listen, we can solve your problem of inadequate capacity or voltage regulation or, um, you know, all the different services uh, that, that batteries can provide. So just let us, participate and bid into those markets. Um, and we're just starting to see that that door, you know, that crack open up a little bit. Um, to, to, to this point, uh, where Tesla has been experimenting on this has been with other utilities. So like Green Mountain Power in Vermont, like they had a, basically Tesla was providing power walls and then Green Mountain was doing all of the like op- um, working with the grid operator and, and that sort of thing. Now that Tesla's actually kind of stepping into this position where they're aggregating uh, these these virtual power plants, all these kind of distributed energy resources, as they're known. Uh, to me, that's like a really encouraging sign that maybe, you know, three, four or five years from now, um, when they've kind of built up this muscle in a more meaningful way, they can start to participate in the economics of that and, you know, take a slice of uh, of the, you know, energy revenues or, or in the, you know, capacity charges that they could, they could be generating. So that's what I, I, I'm getting excited about right now. Yeah. 
Good, good stuff. Glad we have you on our team to help uh, break this stuff down, Matt. Appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only one who's actually interested in this. So I, I probably <laughs> lost half the audience, but I, I think it's awesome. <laughs> you lost me about halfway through that explanation, but I caught a few things. I'm sure there's half the people that really pay attention to everything, though. But uh, yeah, some of that stuff... I, you know, it's, it's, it's super cool. And, but I just, somehow I just can't stay paying attention to the energy well, details. It's, it's, it's kind of and like, it's, it's a low impact. It's like, even if they like sweat, like where to, I almost made up a word and said swatch, even if they switch yeah. to like, like yeah. huge profitability uh, today, um, like it'd be like, assume they had 25% gross margins on energy, which would be a huge undertaking. The, yeah. the revenue is still so small that that wouldn't really move the needle a whole lot. So yeah. I, I still do think this is going to take a long time, both for the revenue base to, to really increase, for Tesla to start, you know, actually working with these incredibly slow moving grid operators and regulators, and then for them to actually be in a position where they can start having a meaningful gross margin. Like, I think all three of those things are, are likely to take a decent amount of time. Yeah, yeah. All good stuff for Tesla, the stock and the or the business, which the stock should re should reflect in the long run. But in the short term, the stock is much more influenced by the macro market at the moment. So, macro market today, rest of today is down. Nasdaq's down one point seven percent at the moment. Um, still got the afternoon to go through. It seems like the sell orders might, you know, who knows? They they typically. Uh, it's like a VWAP order. A lot of these institutions do to unwind positions, you know, volume weighted average price. So like the volume is in the morning and then the afternoon in the middle of the day, it kind of stays flat or doesn't, you know, so that's why the market's sort of rebounded or staying flat in the middle of the day. If that's right, then end of the day, the selling picks back up and the market has another leg down. So we'll see. Um, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the market uh, doesn't have another leg down the rest of today. And uh, we just, wait until FOMC and the GDP print tomorrow and, and, and Thursday and see what happens with the market after that. So, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, good chatting, Matt. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. Next week, I think we're going to do it Monday, right? Is that right? Next week, August 1st, we're going to be on yeah. our live stream. So everyone is aware. Um, instead of Tuesday, we're doing it Monday morning. Tuesday, uh, we're getting ready for the uh, shareholder meeting in Texas and we'll be flying down there to meet some potential investors and other people that were, in, you know, so um, we won't be available next Tuesday, but next Monday, Matt and I will be on for the live stream at the same time. Yeah, thanks for watching everyone.